Welcome to Women in Leadership Talk, where you'll hear from successful women who are empowering other women with their stories of adversity, resiliency, and success. And here is your host, Vicki Bradley, founder and CEO of Women in Leadership Empowered. So welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today for our podcast conversation, Women in Leadership Talk. We are speaking with Dr. Rachel Cordetti Sargent today, who is a naturopath. Dr. Rachel, thank you so much much for joining us. We're thrilled that you're here today and sharing all your wisdom with us. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. So I'd love to just give a a little background quickly on Rachel um, so that everyone can uh, get a sense of who she is, what her background is. Uh, She practices naturopathic medicine. Uh, She is part total science nerd, which I love. And I would never classify you as a nerd just for the record. (laughs) And part no holds barred health nut. That part, yes, I, I totally I get, but nerd part I don't get. <laughs> I am a nerd. Yeah. Very much so. <laughs> well, we're going to find out today. Yeah. <laughs> so during her undergraduate studies in kinesiology at the University of Western Ontario, she learned a number of hormone imbalances and was told that conceiving would likely be a struggle. She worked with the naturopathic doctor to overcome these issues for herself. And it became clear to her that becoming naturopathic doctor was her destiny. I'm super grateful for that. (laughs) So she, you know, just to give a little history, uh, her background, she studied natural, um, she studied at the National College of Natural Medicine in Portland, Oregon, and also the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine in Toronto, Ontario. She's licensed through the College of Naturopathic Medicines in Ontario and is a professional member of the Canadian and Ontario Association of naturopathic doctors. Uh, oh, somebody says they miss you in Bolton. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> as well as uh, Endocrinology Association of Naturopathic Physicians. And she is licensed to prescribe a small schedule of pharmaceuticals granted to naturopathic doctors, which is an honor uh, from my understanding, right? And administers intravenous vitamin infusion therapy. Um, so Dr. Cadetti, thank you. We're super glad to have you, you know, joining us today and, you know, that's all the business stuff, but on a personal note, she is a health nut. <laughs> she's running triathlons. She's wrangling two young kids plus working in two different clinics. Like she is a powerhouse woman, uh, doing all of it. So, uh, also contributing to, you know, lots of different magazine articles and clean eating and L magazines. So uh, just as, as we were joining today, she was sharing that she's also indulging in a baking class where <laughs> she's, she's going to learn how to do all these amazing dishes. So we're thrilled that you're here and so excited to jump into these burning questions that people have around hormones. Uh, So again, we welcome you and uh, let's jump in and start talking about hormones. Okay. Okay. Awesome. So, you know, when you and I were talking earlier, we were discussing there's hormones range from very young age to, you know, up until later in life. And we get our bodies go through all these different things, but let's begin in those early years, if you don't mind. So what really what happens and how do we prepare ourselves to ensure the best possible outcomes when it comes to hormones? Right. So I think what's really interesting about this particular question, like the younger, what do we do when we're younger is um, especially for those um, parents who are potentially taking care of, you know, people who are coming into the menstrual age. Mm 
And how can we support them as they go through this journey? Because that is often when hormonal issues will start to develop if there are going to be some. Um, and so, you know, I like to, I really, w- with my work, I am working at both ends of the spectrum. So I'm working in these early hormonal years into the fertile years. And one of my practices actually where I am today is entirely focused on fertility. Um, and on the other side, I work as women transition out of their fertile years. So what I find really interesting is, you know, that when we're in this time of life, when we're in the early phases of working up to, you know, potentially thinking about having children, we, we need to be aware of what our body is telling us and it's always telling you something. Um, and so we need to listen and what we have, what has become very common these days is that we don't listen or we listen and we say, I'd like to turn that off please. And so we might go to a healthcare provider and the solution will be, okay, well, let's begin an oral contraceptive medication and we'll just turn everything off. And then we'll just pick up again when you might want to have kids. And so I'm often seeing that in my work where, you know, there have been hormonal issues that have been presenting themselves from a young age, um, irregularity, acne, um, painful periods, very heavy periods, things like that. And women have been given the solution of, well, let's just turn it off right now. We'll use an oral contraceptive medication and then we'll circle back when you want to have kids. And then, you know, they'll come off the pill and six months, a year later, they're wondering, well, why isn't this happening for me? Or why hasn't my period come back? Or, and it's because we may have been masking those issues all along. And now we really have to deal with them. So, okay. And that's a great point. And, you know, of course you just took me back to my really young days. (laughs) I am, I'm so far on the other end of the spectrum now (laughs) and I'm grateful for that. But what, so what are some of the things like, what are some things you can do naturally? I mean, should we just go through the process? Like, you know, I've got a young teenager who's in the height of the, the acne, the heavy periods, the, uh, serious cramping. So do we just work through it or what, what are your thoughts on that? Right. That's a great question. And it's always complicated by the fact that at that age, um, there will be, you know, a lot of, um, sexual interest developing as well. And we obviously want to be keeping our children safe. Um, We want to be protecting against um, unwanted or unintended pregnancies, typically at that stage. And so there's always this conversation about, well, what do I do? Because when the body is telling us those, that something's up with those symptoms, you know, in my job, that tells me something's going on. Like we need to look, especially if this menstruating person has been having issues for a number of years, for example, they've, they, their period has come around, you know, and at when they were 12 or 13, and then by 16, 17, they're still really struggling. Mm-hmm. You know, they've been going through it for a long enough now that we really need to be investigating what's going on on imaging, what's going on with, um, you know, with respect to hormone levels at that point, it's not always something that we'll look at very early, Mm -hmm. uh, but it is something that we can address if it's been a number of years that a person has been menstruating and they're having difficulties in the earlier days, what we'll often turn to more is, well, how can we support you from a dietary perspective to reduce inflammation? 
How can we support you from a lifestyle perspective, especially one of the big ones is circadian rhythms. And that's something that a lot of young women are really impacting these days because of their late night blue light exposure. Um, a lot of teens especially are not um, turning off their screens at all. I, you know, one of, one of the colleagues that I work with at my clinic in Burlington, um, she actually works almost exclusively with teens. And she was, you know, she's been telling me stories about how she has patients of hers who are on TikTok until three in the morning. No, <laughs> your hormones are on a, on a cycle. You know, women in particular run on a 28 day cycle. I put that in brackets because it's not always exactly 28 days, but we run on a cycle and our circadian cycle is tied in with that. So if there's any interruption with that, it will hugely impact your cycle. Okay. But we'll often hark back to those lifestyle, dietary, possible, you know, helpful supplementation options when they're in their very, very young years. But if they're getting later into their teen years and it's really becoming a problem, then we'll do a little bit of deeper investigation. Okay. Wow. That's interesting. Um, because I never even associated the, the blue lights with, because I have happen to have a teenager who wants to be up and she's, you know, either, you know, she's on social media or she's watching a movie or whatever. Um, like that's fascinating that, yeah. Okay. So we'll have to dig into that a little bit more. I did see a hand go up. Mackenzie, did you have a question you wanted to ask? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was just going to say, um, it, it makes so much sense that, I mean, as a young, like as a young, these young women and trying to regulate it in a natural way, but even now, I mean, if I don't get my like eight hours of sleep or if my, if a weekend is kind of busy and there's late nights and my like total I'm like completely off so um what you just said there like kind of made I mean I I always knew that when I stay up late and do these things but I mean it's true like as soon as you mess with your cycle it's gonna, it's gonna mess <laughs> with you right back yeah <laughs> So just to build on that, one of the hormones that the body produces as the lights start to dim and as the, you know, the sun starts to go down is called melatonin, which most of us have heard of before because a lot of people will use it as a sleep aid. Um, we actually, in the fertility world, use it to treat women who have endometriosis, as well as women who are preparing for IVF cycles, because we see better outcomes. And if we circle back to, well, why would those, you know, issues be there in the first place? Like, why might this person person be struggling with fertility? Or why might a condition like endometriosis develop? We can often go way back and see, well, there's been a lifelong issue with circadian rhythms. And that's why something like melatonin can be so helpful at just resetting. Oh, wow. Okay. Fascinating. Well, actually that brings up my next question. Cause what I was going to ask you is what are some of the most common challenges that women are facing regardless of the age or stage, but you know, what do you, where do you see that from? And sorry, right. So if we're, <laughs> go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, 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 go ahead. That's perfect. Yeah. So if we're looking, you know, sort of closer to those early years of fertility um, and, and, you know, being in the fertility years and, or the fertile years, excuse me, and trying to conceive some of the things we see coming up over and over and over again, um, something called polycystic ovarian syndrome. 
It's very okay. common and it's very much an endocrine disorder. So that's impacted heavily by blood sugar levels um, as well as by androgen levels. So those are what we typically associate with the male pattern hormones, but females do have those hormones within them too. Okay. Um, and it will cause, excuse me, irregular and anovulatory cycles. Um, endometriosis is another common condition that we'll see quite a bit where we actually have the endometrial lining of the uterus is actually starting to grow outside of the uterus and it causes extremely painful and heavy periods. Um, elevated thyroid antibodies and overall thyroid dysfunction are, uh, that's another common issue that I'll see in my patients as well. Um, and that really spans the ages. If somebody is, you know, entering their, their perimenopause years, if they have any of these issues that have been going on beforehand, it will almost rear its, its head in a worse way when the perimenopause years develop. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. You say that because I've heard that actually from, cause I'm sort of on the, I'm not perimenopause. I'm full on menopause, <laughs> but I've heard that from actually several women that are in my age range where they're either just going into menopause or they could be the perimenopause or they're in it, but are having now thyroid issues. And as you know, I've had my own, um, potential challenges with thyroid. <laughs> so how do we at a younger age, um, cause I want to stay on that for just a minute. How do we, how do we better prepare for those things or how do we even prevent those things if possible? Like I know you talked about diet is one and, and sugar levels. So what are some other ways that we can impact Right. And if we're, we can think about this in a couple of different ways, right? So when I think about it from a fertility perspective, I will often borrow a term from one of my colleagues um, who her approach is, well, we should plan for a baby like we plan for a wedding. And so if you've ever planned a wedding before, not that everyone has, but we most, most of us have this idea in our head that a wedding takes a long time to plan, right? Maybe a year for me personally, it was two years. Um, you know, you're doing a lot of work leading up to that. It's no different when you're preparing to bring a new life into the world, right? I mean, we need to make sure that you are a healthy human first before we can go ahead and create another healthy human, right? Yeah. Um, and it's no different than when we're entering the perimenopause time as well. So there, for some women, they maybe didn't have to think too much about it. They easily conceived, really didn't have any issues with that but then they come to their perimenopause time and all of a sudden a lot of things are developing, right? So if we want that journey to be smooth and the perimenopause journey can last in some cases for 10 years, that's a long time. You don't wanna be suffering for 10 years. So we really should be doing a thorough evaluation to determine what could impact you as you're going into this experience. What can we work on now so that this is going to be overall a gentle transition because it is a normal experience. You are not supposed to stay, you know, fertile forever. Um, but there can be a lot of things that, that impact it. And we can, we do want to make it easier. Yeah. Well, let's jump into that because, um, you know, <laughs> those of us that are at my age, like I watched my mother go through menopause, right. And she severely struggled. Um, but you know, I'll bring up some of even my own issues. Like when you get to menopause, it's the weight gain. It's the, you know, you can't sleep. It's the night sweats, the hot flashes, like all of those things that, you know, we all encounter it's normal, but it's, you know, what are some of the, 
uh, I guess the ways that we can balance that out a little bit more so that it's not, and I'm, I'm saying this, I know you work with me <laughs> on balancing it out. Um, but I want to share that with our audience because, you know, sometimes you think, what can I do? There's nothing I can do. It's just normal, but there are things that we can do. Oh, absolutely. And I think you bring up an interesting point there where there is often the approach with the menopause experience that, well, this is just how it is. And I can't tell you the number of times that I've had, you know, a patient sit in my office and tell me, I spoke with my doctor about what I'm going through. And the response was, you're getting old. Yeah. (laughs) What can we do? Do you want me to give you an antidepressant? And that's kind of where it ends. And so, you know, when a person sits with me and initially, and when we first connect, they'll be spending 75 minutes with me. It's a long time. Um, We will have the opportunity to really hear the symptoms and then to understand where we might need to be making some adjustments. Um, And so I, I just want to clarify that, yes, it's a normal experience to go through the transition. It doesn't have to be an experience where you suffer greatly. Um, Will there be some potential discomfort? Sure. But that's telling us maybe we need to look deeper at another way to support you. And I think another thing that's important to remember is, you know, we are in a very different time of your, our, our um, evolution as a species. So if we think back, not even that long ago, women weren't living this long, right? So a lot of women were coming to the time in their life where their period was no longer happening. They were going through menopause. They were in their menopause years. They might not be living that much longer afterwards. We have a lot of technology at our disposal now when it comes to healthcare and we're living, my goodness, there was a lady on my street who yesterday turned a hundred. Yay. Oh, beautiful. Amazing, right? (laughs) That's amazing. But we need those to be quality years. And if you're suffering, you're not going to feel good. So we need to address that. And so when we look at, you know, what are we going to look at, first of all, and then what are we going to do about it? So we're always taking a look at what's going on hormone wise. So we'll just do normal hormone blood works, nothing fancy. Um, We'll take a look at, you know, and when I say hormones, I'm not just stopping specifically at the sex hormones, right? So yes, sure. Estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, DHEA. Sure. We'll check all of those things. But what about your thyroid that, you know, those are thyroid hormones are very important as well. What about insulin? That's another hormone that's involved in blood sugar uh, management. Let's take a look at that. Um, You know, we'll look at everything as well as nutrients. I always like to have a glance at what's going on with basic nutrients, because if there are any issues, even at that basic nutrient level, you're not going to feel good. So maybe if we work on that, you might feel a little better and all of the other things don't, you know, don't present themselves as intensely. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a look at diet. We're going to take a look at lifestyle pieces and, you know, it, I, I give homework. You have to be willing to work. Darn. <laughs> right. Um, and so some of the more, more advanced options include botanical medicine. So That is part of the training of a naturopathic doctor practicing in North America is we have four years of training on botanical medicine. And so there are great uh, plant options for managing a lot of menopause symptoms. So you might hear women talk about things like black cohosh or sage 
or chase tree um, or wild yam. We have a lot of options there that we can utilize. And then generally coming to the end of our, you know, spectrum of options, you know, lifestyle through to the most advanced is where we're looking at options like bioidentical, excuse me, hormone replacement therapy, which is not the same therapy as the original hormone replacement therapy that was introduced um, in the mid 1900s. Okay. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because like, you know, I, I think back to when my mother, like when she went, when she was going through menopause and they put her on very synthetic, um, right. drugs. And I mean, she almost had a nervous breakdown to be quite honest with you. And, and so that's all that's made me more leery, which is why I came to you as well to help me do it a very natural way. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe talk to us about, you know, what are some of those options and differences? Um, because everybody has a choice, right? And you're going to pick what works best for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe talk about that a little bit. Sure. And so this particular area, so bioidentical hormone replacement therapy is one of the um prescribing, it's part of the prescribing schedule of naturopathic doctors in Ontario. So we are able to prescribe some pharmaceuticals. And this is one of those areas. Not every naturopathic doctor can do it. You have to have a prescribing license in order to prescribe. So um, we're looking at bioidentical progesterone, bioidentical estrogen, Um, naturopathic doctors in Ontario can't prescribe bioidentical DHEA or testosterone, but we can refer out when those options are needed so that patients are well taken care of. And so these particular, uh, therapies are very different from what was utilized back in the mid 1950s. So those were synthetic. They were very strong. Mm -hmm. Often estrogen was being used unopposed. So what that means is, is women were being given estrogen without any progesterone to oppose it. Mm-hmm. And so we were starting to see the development of cancers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we're, what the phase that we're in now with hormone replacement therapy is very different. It's very gentle. It's bioidentical. We start low and slow. We do a lot of what I call cover your ass <laughs> stuff before we even prescribe it. What's going on with your uterus? Do you have any growths there? What's going on with your breast tissue? Do we have any growths there? If you do, well, maybe we're not going to give you estrogen. Maybe we'll stick with something else instead. So we're doing this in a very gentle and safe way. Um, and I have to say it is, it is something that I feel very privileged to be able to offer my patients because I know a lot of family doctors are trying to manage these things and don't have the training necessarily to do that all of the time. So they don't know what to do for their patients. Mm-hmm. Very true. Well, my own doctor, I mean, he said that from the beginning, <laughs> he was like, you know, that is not my specialty and let's make sure you're with the right person. And I've had other health challenges. Um, so for me, natural was the I felt the best option for myself personally. Um, so yeah, so that's great. And it's, it's important, I think, for women to recognize that there are many options, um, regardless, again, whether you're, you know, looking to have a child, have, you know, build a family, or if you're on the other end of the spectrum, knowing that there's different ways that you can uh, address and, and support your body in a way that is healthy. Um, and so that's one of the things I want us to talk about too, is, you know, um, how do I want to word this? We, we are programmed really not to talk about our bodies, right? Like it's kind of a taboo subject, uh, or at least it was in my years growing up. Like I, I try and talk to my daughter about it and she goes, mom, I'm not talking to you. Right. Like, so we've gone from one extreme to the other where I'm very open and, you know, 
I guess, you know, how do we, how do we get better at talking about our bodies and some of the things that we're facing? Mm-hmm. Because we usually shy away or hide from it because we think, oh, something must be wrong with us. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think that that is an interesting point to bring up for sure. And I would say that if you don't want to talk about it openly with others, I know that in some families and in some cultures that is not supported. You don't talk about what's going on with, especially if it's more of what we would call like a female complaint. Um, You just don't. So fine, but then you want to be listening to what your body's telling you and sharing it with a healthcare provider whom you trust, who you feel is willing to work with you wholly and completely to understand what's going on and what can be done, right? I think if we're talking about the teen years in particular, it's such an awkward time that, you know, they're probably not going to want to have these deep conversations with their parents potentially or their guardians or whomever is helping them go through it. I know I didn't really want to talk about it with my mom, even though she (laughs) probably wanted to talk about it. (laughs) Um, And so then who can we set you know, those young people up with so that they feel supported and they're out there. There are healthcare providers who this is what they do. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that one's so important. And, uh, you know, your mom and I've had this conversation before too, about, you know, how we don't, we don't, um, we're not comfortable necessarily, or women in particular, we're not comfortable talking about, Uh, just our bodies and and the experiences that we have, but also, you know, really getting to know your body. I mean, that is so important because we think it's, again, it's like a taboo subject, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not taboo. It's, it's who you are. And so it's, how do we get intimate with ourselves so that we can, you know, really make sure we, we are preparing ourselves for that long life. Like to your point of your neighbor turning a hundred years old, like that is a complete, you know, mind, body, spirit, every, every aspect of your being has to be at its, at its best in order to achieve that longevity. Right. And I think you bring up two interesting points there that I'd like to speak to. So number one, community, Uh, which is a challenge these days for a lot of people. And so virtual connections like this are so important. And it makes me think of, you know, going back to days of the red tent. I don't know if anyone's read the red tent before. It's a wonderful book. And you don't know that one, Vicki? Oh my goodness. No, no. So great. And so it's, it's all about um, biblical times and how women actually gathered monthly in the red tent to menstruate together. Oh, beautiful. Okay. And they're all sitting together for a week. I now, of course, this brings up some issues like why do we need to segregate women when they're bleeding? I don't know. That's weird. But (laughs) at the same time, like, can you imagine the wisdom sharing that was going on in those, in those weeks? Right. And, And the same type of experience when, when, um, you know, when someone was pregnant and going through that experience or having children, like there, there was community. These days we're very, we're very segregated. Obviously the current global issue is not helping that, but even before that, right? Like we are nuclear families now and we're not necessarily connected. Um, So community, you know, that mind, body, spirit, peace, community, support, wisdom, those are the things that we know, um, even through research that provide so much happiness and will teach women about their bodies. So yeah, women have no idea. So I, um, 
my one clinic in Burlington, we host a, a women's collective called the Wild Collective. And so once a month for 10 months, 10 months, excuse me, we gather to discuss women's health topics and we start with menstruation. And the number of women who have no idea what's, what is normal and what the body goes through on a monthly basis. And I know none of us were paying attention in health class when we were teenagers because we were so embarrassed. I get that. Right. But you know, at some point it'll click that we need to learn about these things and we need to learn about what our body's talking to us about throughout the month. Right. So the red tent's a great option. Another great book that I really like is, um, it's called woman code by a woman named Alyssa Vitti. And she speaks about the shifts throughout your cycle and what those mean for your productivity. Oh, for example, during your menstrual period, it's generally a time of, you know, turning inward rest. You might not want to be having the hardest workouts of your life at that time. As you work toward your ovulatory phase, you are in this like build phase. So you're like more present, you're more, you're more attractive, you're more energetic and then as you work towards your luteal phase where, you know, the, we, we may or may not be supporting a pregnancy, then, you know, this is like a time of like reflection, GSD, like getting shit done, pardon my language. Um, and so it's really interesting to think about that, like what's going on on a hormonal level throughout the month. How can you harness that for your own productivity? Kate Northrup is another woman who speaks very much to that. She has a book called Do Less, which is very much about this. And if you're not a woman who is menstruating any longer, you can still follow that same cycle by following the moon cycle, which sounds so crazy, but it's, oh, it's so true. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. Oh my gosh, that's wonderful. And you're so right. Like when you're young, it, you're sitting in health class and it's co-ed and you're going, I don't want to know. I don't even want to talk about this. And the boys are going, oh, gross, you know. <laughs> Like those images and everything, like the cross sections of anatomy, nobody wants to see that. Exactly. It's so embarrassing. And well, you know, I can imagine like my, as I was sharing my daughter, even if I talk about it with her, she's like, oh my God, I just can't have this conversation. My son was completely opposite. He wanted to know everything. And, and we had very open dialogue around it. Right. And, you know, it was, and so I was surprised when she was so resistant yeah. to having these conversations, but I love, I love what you've just described there because I've all, I've always believed in the moon, right. And, and how there's, there's definitely patterns that happen and you see it when, even when your kids are little and see it in yourself, like they, you know, there's a whole different energy level that takes place. Um, Yeah. I'm always fearful of the full moon in my house. Exactly. exactly. I know somebody's going to have a meltdown. (laughs) It, it's so true. And so when you just said that about how it relates to our bodies and, and hormonally what we're going through, that makes a world of sense to me. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Thank you. That's a great share. And, and for going back to the conversation about like teens and specifically, you know, teen girls trying to meet them where they are. So I know for myself personally on, on my Instagram channels, I try to talk about periods as much as I can. So that if anyone's coming across my content, they're like, oh, this is normal. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And there are great books. Sorry. I said it should be normal because it's yeah. life. It's just what we go through. Yeah. Yeah. There are two other great books I'll give as resources. So the period repair manual by a naturopathic doctor from Australia named Lara Bryden. That's a really wonderful one. 
And she has another one that she just released. Um, I think it's called the hormone repair manual. And that's more specifically for perimenopause and menopause. So Laura, Laura Bryden is a wealth of knowledge as is um, a, a woman named Lisa Hendrickson Jack, who wrote a book called uh, the fifth vital sign. So it speaks it, it, the level of detail in this book is just magnificent. And she speaks about ovulation in particular being a fifth vital sign. So if you're not ovulating and you're still in your fertile years, there's a problem. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and again, that goes back to knowing your body, right? So it is knowing, you know, all the different things that happen or that are, should be happening for a normal uh, body. And if it's not happening, then you need to, you need to get some assistance, right? Totally. Yeah. Making sure that you're paying attention to that. Yeah. Yes. Oh, beautiful. Wow. So some, so much great information. And I know our audience has some questions because I, I had a couple of people reach out and we had to have somebody dropped off and she said, she's so sorry. She can't wait to listen to the rest of the recording. No Before we go there, um, you know, I just want to, you know, give you an opportunity. Is there, what would be like your top three sort of, you know, being the expert in this, like to help women really get more intimate with their bodies? What would you want to share? Mm -hmm. Start tracking. So, you know, we didn't have this technology 15, 20 some odd years ago, but there are so many period tracking apps out there, or even hormone tracking apps, if you're not having a period anymore, that you can use to start to track your monthly experience. So that's one thing that I would recommend. So um, uh, MyFlow, M-Y-F-L-O is is a great app. Um, If you're specifically fertility focused, there's a wonderful app called Kindara, K-I-N-D-A-R-A. So those are some things to look into. And and if you don't want to use an app, you can even keep like a calendar and even just start to tune in with yourself when it comes to like what's going on with the moon. This is especially if you're no longer menstruating, what's going on with the moon and how am I feeling energetically and how is that shifting throughout the month? So I would just start to do some tracking and tune in with yourself. Um, Another thing that I highly recommend is please make sure you're getting enough protein. I can't tell you how many times in my day, I talk about protein and how many women struggle to get enough. So if you're not getting enough protein, it's going to throw off your blood sugar. You're not going to have enough of those amino acid building blocks that we need to build and repair and maintain tissue. It's it, you need it. I can't, I just, women just historically don't get enough. So at minimum one gram per kilogram of body weight is what is required in order to just keep your body going and keep it steady. Um, So that's another big tip for sure that I would wanna share with everybody. Um, And then the other one would be harking back to what we discussed with the circadian rhythms piece is please turn off your screens. Your bedroom should be renamed the S room. Okay, so there, you, you can have snoring in there. You can have snuggling in there. <laughs> Maybe another S word that I'll use here. What was that one, Vicki? You can have sex in there. Right. So that <laughs> S word is allowed, but the only S that isn't allowed is the screen. I love it. None of those. They should not yeah. be anywhere near your bedroom. Okay. Very smart. Yeah. <laughs> so, and like, an hour, if you can swing it, an hour before bed, those should be off. 
If there's something that's really crucial that needs to get done, please get yourself some blue light blocking glasses. Please install the Flux app onto your desktop so that it, or your laptop, so it filters out the blue light. Even some of the phones and tablets these days have that option where it'll filter out the blue light um, so that we're not, you know, messing with that melatonin production. But keep in mind, whatever's on the screen is still very stimulating, right? So, yeah. Awesome. Top three. <laughs> okay, those are great shares. So I just want to piggyback onto your protein comment. <laughs> because yes, yes Vicky. So, <laughs> yes. So I would be that patient who, you know, I have a daughter who's vegetarian and I was, you know, trying to not cook multiple meals. And so I will share with you what Dr. Credetti is saying is absolute fact-based because I was eating very little protein and my insulin numbers went crazy, like off the chart, crazy. And so, um, Dr. Kadeti has been working with me along with Tosca who's on here, um, between my strike sugar and making sure I'm getting more protein to balance out those numbers. And I couldn't figure it out. Cause I mean, I was gaining weight, but I knew I was gaining weight because of menopause, but then it was also because I wasn't, I wasn't, um, nourishing my body the way it needed. And I think we get confused, right? Because there's so many different diets and stories and, and everybody has a, has a different approach, but you really have to know your body and that protein piece. I, I can't agree. Like you've sold me on that because I feel better. Like, you know, I have more energy. I'm sleeping better. All of the things that you're talking about are coming into natural rhythm because I've strike sugar. I'm in week six, yay me. Um, and I'm having my protein. <laughs> so it's important, you know, and that's really why I wanted you to be on here today too, is to, to share some of these things because it gets overwhelming sometimes to know what to do. And it's not difficult if we just really listen to our bodies. Absolutely. And regardless of the diet that you're choosing to follow, protein needs to be at the heart of it. If you're choosing to follow a plant-based diet, fine. If you're choosing to be vegetarian, fine. If you're choosing to be vegan, fine. I still need you to get enough protein. That's not an, that's not an excuse to all of a sudden be like a carb bunny. You can't do that. <laughs> it's not going to work. Yeah. And that's been a great help for me, even with Zoe, with my daughter, right. Making sure that she is getting enough protein in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, so thank you for that. And, and just before I open up to questions, I do want to mention one more thing. Cause Dr. Dr. Cordetti has another superpower <laughs> that I love. She does facial rejuvenation for her clients, which is acupuncture. And I am addicted to it. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Yes, Tosca, exactly. Because this is, it sounds a little scary because it is acupuncture in your face, but it is the most relaxing Zen. Like I can see her for an hour and I feel like I've been at a spa all day uh, just because it completely relaxes your body. So that's a hidden superpower that she has. And if anyone's interested, Rachel, maybe I can get you to put your contact in the chat so that everybody has that. Yeah. Um, and so whether it's, you know, regarding your hormones, uh, looking to, you know, have just a really good balanced naturopathic approach to, uh, you know, how we, how we take care of ourselves, or if you're interested in facial rejuvenation, like she gets, she gets a plus 10 rating from me. 
So thank you for that. Yeah, so no let's problem. open up to questions. Yeah. Um, so yes, I see Tosca's got her hand up there and, and I think Mackenzie had a question. I know Karen had a question. So let's, um, Tosca, do you wanna lead us on this one? Uh, so, Rachel, thanks for all that information about protein. You know that I'm the queen of protein, so I'm 100% there. But I just want to clarify your quote. You said one gram per kilogram of body weight. Is that per day? Yes, per day. Or per meal? No, no, per day. Per day. Okay, one it. gram thanks. per kilogram of body be... weight. That's like your your daily goal that you should be trying to achieve, and that's at minimum. In some have, cases, yeah. Uh, yeah, in some cases so, we need to have more, but generally when I throw that number out there and, you know, women will do a quick calculation, they're like, oh, I'm not getting that. <laughs> well, because you, you think it's a lot, but what I've learned from you and Tosca is you can get the protein in lots of different ways. Right. And so that adds up actually quicker. Cause I was that person. I was like, Oh my gosh, Rachel, I can't have that much protein. Like that's just not even doable for me. And, but, I, but it is doable and I have been doing it. And the thing is too, when you eat more protein, then you're not hungry. So you're not wanting to do the snacking. Like I have to actually make myself go and have something sometimes. Cause it's like, I'm not hungry. Mm -hmm but I know that I need to do it to keep everything working the way that it should be working. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thank you. And Karen. Okay. So Karen, do you want to say your question out loud or do you want me to just read it? Um, just go ahead and read it. That's fine. Okay. So, and thank you. Thank you for the question. So she says, how would you identify you are beginning to enter perimenopause? I have not had the opportunity to do any research on it on my own yet. And my cycles are already very irregular because I have PCOS. Right. So good question. I will provide a personal share here. Um, I'm 36 and I am um, beginning my perimenopause journey. Um, I'm very young to be going through this, but I have a very low ovarian reserve and so um, it's natural for me technically because of that. So I'll give you some examples of how I started to notice it for myself. Yes, irregular cycles can be a flag. If you have PCOS and your cycles are already irregular, then that might not be something that will give it away. Um, so some of the symptoms that can start to develop with, with perimenopause and the list is long. When I'm doing an intake with a patient that's more perimenopause focused, you know, are you having hot flashes? Are your breasts tender and swollen? Are you noticing thinning hair? Is your hair becoming dry? Is your libido tanking? Are you able to have an orgasm? Are you vaginally dry? Do your joints hurt? <laughs> These are some of the things like it, it's a lot, right? And, and so many other things can mask as a perimenopause experience that it can be hard to tease it out sometime. So there's that you know, going back to the idea of tracking your symptoms and seeing what's going on and then working with someone to help put the pieces together. Generally, from a lab perspective, if we're doing some blood work, FSH is one of the hormones that we will investigate, follicle stimulating hormone. It's a pituitary gland hormone that works to stimulate the, um, the ovary to have a follicle mature um, that can be ovulated. When that number starts climbing and we're starting to see it go past, like these are Canadian numbers, but like the 10 mark, you know, getting 12, getting higher, that tells us what we're getting into that 
transitional time. So that's a way we can like actually, you know, look at it on, on testing on lab values. Awesome. Yeah. Great question, Karen. Thank you. And then uh, Tuesday asked if I eat meat for my protein, does it need to be lean meat or some fat is okay? It's a good question. That's a good question. This very much comes back to the conversation around meat quality and where you're sourcing it from. So I know that, you know, we hear a lot out there about choosing free range options, you know, um, uh, meat products where we know that the animals have been treated in a humane way, where they haven't been exposed to a lot of toxins or hormones that if, you know, in that sort of situation, I would be more comfortable with you having a fattier meat choice. Toxins like to collect themselves in fatty tissue. So if you're having a meat product that is fattier and it's coming from, you know, poor quality meat um, or a poor quality animal, then you might be exposing yourself to toxins that we don't really want you to get. This is a whole other conversation that we could have, but the impact that environmental and social toxins um, that those have on our hormone experience is remarkable. In my work in fertility, we've seen a drastic decline in the last 50 years in the quality of um, sperm. And we are tying a lot of that to environmental and social toxin exposure. So, and it impacts women quite intensely as well. The top three that we get concerned about are parabens, phthalates, and BPA. So those are some things to be aware of in your life. Um, if you want a great resource, uh, there's a woman named Emma Roman and she has um, on, uh, online, she's uh, green at home and she has just a wealth of information on the toxin side of things. So if you're choosing a higher quality meat, it can be a little bit fattier. I don't mind that so much. Otherwise I would stick with the lean choice. That's really good. So when you said that just now, what, where my head went, because you think about the obesity rates, right? Across North America. And a lot of that stems from the toxins and we're storing those toxins in our bodies and which creates all of these issues, right? And so eating clean, um, I mean, that's a, that's a big deal. That is a really big deal. And if you're wanting to be mindful with your dollars, always adhere to the environmental working groups, clean 15 and dirty dozen produce checklist, which you can find online. Um, and it'll give you a list of the, uh, the, the cleanest 15 produce items, which you don't have to purchase organic and the dirtiest dozen. And it's usually like dirty dozen plus, like there are usually a few more than 12 in there where you'll definitely want to be purchasing those as organic choices. So some of the top ones, almost the last couple of years, it's been consistently strawberries. Um, so that, as the dirtiest. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm a little bit in my house. I'm very, when we're doing the grocery list, we, we, one of our, our COVID um, I guess like wins this year was we finally got into steady meal planning. And so we'll sit down and prepare the menu for the week and we'll prepare our grocery list and we'll, you know, put our order in. So we don't even have to go to the store anymore. Um, and I always, if my husband's doing the shopping or the, you know, the click and shop, I should say, I'll put berries only if organic. <laughs> and, and the rule is if the berries are more than $5, no, Rachel, you can't have them. <laughs> well, there's some good rules though, right? Yes. Because you don't, because, because traditionally we think, oh, berries, fruit, it's good, right? I mean, it's natural, it, it's good. And we don't always think about 
the, the chemicals that are used or, um, sorry, uh, Mackenzie just asked, what was the website? I'm going to, I'm going to tape it in. Okay. <laughs> um, so we're not always thinking about that. And, and that's a really great call out, right? Because it's, it's making smart choices and, yeah. you know, and, and again, it is a choice, but it's, it's paying attention to what we are putting in our bodies. Clean 15. Awesome. Okay. I love it. Okay. Any other questions from our audience before we begin to wrap up here? Just give it a quick. I'll put um, green at I home. Have, I have another one. Yes, do say go. Sorry. <laughs> no, don't. I have, I have three boys. So I know the, like, they still have their hormones. I know you were focusing on um, women, but two of them are going through the teenage phase and having skin problems. So I just want to see if, like what I can do to help them go mm -hmm. through that phase. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so I'm, I don't want to get too personal with your kids. Um, so I'll speak to some of the concerns that can often come up with, with uh, teenage males. Um, so mood changes for sure can develop. Acne can sometimes be a problem. Um, uh, athleticism. So sometimes uh, I've, I've seen, um, I don't work with a lot of uh, teenage males, but colleagues who I have worked with them having difficulties with fatigue, with energy levels, with performance in their athletic abilities. Um, and often that'll tie into mood as well. So I would, we're, you know, it's, it's really no different when we're speaking about teenage males and, and teenage and females, really teenage persons overall, um, no matter how you're choosing to identify yourself gender wise, that you want to be looking at the basics, what's going on with your diet, what's going on with your athletics. Um, and I shouldn't say athletics. That's not the word that I meant. I did a, like a big, um, workout this morning and she was talking all about athletes. So that word's in my head right now. But um, so what's going on with diet? What's going on with physical activity, which is, that's what I wanted to say. So movement, what's going on with sleep? Yeah. What's going on with that? Like what is going on on the screens? Um, so my, I have uh, my mom's brother, one of her brothers um, lives in uh, Michigan uh, with his wife and their two sons. And one thing that I always found to be very remarkable about their choices with their teenagers is that there were absolutely no screens allowed in their bedrooms. So screens had to stay in an open space. And so that was in the kitchen and you know, I'm, this is like an N of two in this circumstance, but the, the difference that I see in those particular teenage boys compared to others is pretty remarkable. So that's another thing to consider. I have a huge battle then to fight yeah. with the boys on this. <laughs> I hope I can convince them. They're so, the screens are so pervasive, but it's hard because they're living this whole other life that we just don't even know right. about, right? Yes. And what they're being exposed to on the screens and how that's impacting their hormones, how it's impacting their development, how it's impacting their brains, right? The levels of anxiety, especially with what's going on in the world are just through the roof. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah, it's hard. So, you know, I'm, I, my children are young. My daughter is four and a half. My son is two. I'm not quite there yet. <laughs> I'm a little bit scared about it. I have to say, <laughs> but 
I know personally, that's one thing that like my husband and I are agree on that, that we're, we want to try to be as firm as possible when it comes to screens. <laughs> well, it's true. And, and you're right with COVID or pandemic, you know, it's because they're at home, they're at, they're uh, at school online, uh, their whole life right now for the last 13 months, that's been their connection to the outside world. And so it is tough. Yeah. Uh, I just want to pick up a comment that Ivana had put in here mm-hmm. and she just talked about uh, the confidence, right? Because yeah. uh, with the periods and acne, because it's happening on their back and I'm with you, Ivana, I have a 15 year old, so same thing. And it does affect the confidence, right? Um, because yeah. it's the whole image and, you know, just totally. it's tough time even being a teenager, but then add those complications to it. Yeah. And I can relate. I was a teenager with acne. Mom, how many times did we go to the dermatologist? And I am no different than so many other people in this position where the choice that was given to me was the birth control pill. At the time it was Diane 35. That was the most popular one. Thinking back to the fact that I took that scares the crap out of me because I have since learned that I have a genetic blood clotting um, uh, it's basically a genetic snip, we call it where I have a higher tendency to blood clots <laughs> and that particular uh, medication has been known to cause that in, in, in young people using it. Wow. So I'm like, I can't even, but I didn't know any better at the time. Right. We just, wow. we just, didn't, yeah, like we just didn't really know. Um, and so if those things are developing, like we have to be aware of the fact that depending on the age of the person going through these menstrual um, changes and the hormone changes, some of this is like a little bit normal in the sense that in those early years, you know, if you're in those like first like three years, there's a lot going on with the body and the body's just trying to figure itself out. It's not different from, you know, being on the other side of it where we're transitioning out. That's almost like a second um uh, uh, puberty really in a way, like one we're ramping up the other, we're ramping, ramping down. And it's like, not a fun experience. So, you know, if, if they're, if they're quite a bit younger and they're new to their uh, menstrual experience, then we might not be as harshly investigating what could be going on. And we're going to turn right back to the basics. So what can we do with dietary changes? Are there things in particular in the diet that are making acne worse? So, um, You know, we do actually have clinical research to suggest in some cases that dairy will make acne worse. Um, It's not always the case. And I'm certainly not someone who knocks on dairy. Some people will have no problem with it whatsoever, but we do have some clinical research to suggest that it will actually elevate androgen levels. Androgens, again, are more of those male pattern hormones. Um, And so, you know, if we're starting to see the development of acne on the back, along the jawline, um, in, in young women that can sometimes suggest that we've got a little bit of an elevation with those androgen levels. And we might need to kind of try to scale it back, um, with the dairy products. That's one thing. Um, if they're older and they've been menstruating for a longer time, we might want to do a little bit more investigation into what's going on with those hormone levels. And if we need to be sort of trying to like balance that out a little bit, are they a little bit estrogen dominant? You know, do we need to try to reduce that? Think about the toxin exposure because BPAs in particular, that's an endocrine mimicker that will actually make you look more estrogen dominant. Um, phthalates are problematic, parabens, like I mentioned. So circle back to those, like the real basic stuff. What's going on with diet? What's going on with your toxin exposure? What's your exercise like? What's your water intake like? Um, what's going on also with the, with the sleep? 
the basics. I'm, I'm saying it over and over again. I wish I had a magical pill. And sometimes I do. Sometimes I do, but you know, not, I'm not really treating anybody here on this call. Cause you're not necessarily my patients. So this is like the basics. Um, if you're going to start to want to treat things then you'll want to have some support on that. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I'm just going to, uh, reference what Karen had just shared. She talked about birth control. Like when she went on birth control, you know, had no idea what the long-term impact would be. And mm-hmm. because her, uh, PCOS wasn't diagnosed until her thirties the birth control pills actually masked it. And I think that's true with any, any, whether it's vaccines, whether it's pills, whether it's, you know, there are other complications that can occur. And so it is knowing and having that, you know, being aware of what we put into our bodies and what the impact can be. Yeah. And I like what Mackenzie has mentioned here about like potentially being on an oral contraceptive medication or another type of birth control uh, medication for 10 plus years. So circling back to that, we um, will sometimes ask patients to consider it. And this is not something that I can prescribe, but I will have these conversations with, with my patients because they're using these things. Is it the type of thing where we maybe we can harness the medications properties for contraceptive purposes, for example, for a couple of years. So we can get you through like a little bit of a difficult time. Um, and then we, we, okay, you're going to come off of it. So Lisa Hendrickson, Jack, who I mentioned her book, the fifth vital sign, she has a whole chapter on um, oral contraceptive medication. And she actually has a section in there where she talks about why it should have a black box warning on it because of all the side effects that it can cause for, um, for people who are using it. So suicidal ideations, um, increased risk of HPV infection, uh, vaginal dryness, decreased libido, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so that would be a really great resource um, if you're considering that or if you're in that place where you're having to make a decision about oral contraceptive medication. Same with uh, Aviva Ram. Dr. Aviva Ram is a medical doctor in the United States who speaks quite a bit about that. Bye, mom. Sorry. <laughs> no, that was great. <laughs> too much. I could talk about this stuff all day. No, this is fabulous. And Tosca, thanks for coming today. <laughs> Thank you. Bless. Uh, thanks so much for everybody. Um, have a great day. Thank you. You too. So uh, just... Dr. Cavetti, uh, Dr. Cavetti, just thank you so, so much for being here. Uh, you know, this has been amazing. So, we've covered, I know there's so much more, like we could spend hours literally yeah. talking about this, but so much great information that you've shared and thank you so much. And, and to our guests that are here today, mm-hmm. uh, thank you all for joining us and for your great questions. And you know, you'll get, you'll get the recording as well. And if you know somebody who's struggling with hormones, like share this information with them, uh, you know, because the more we inform and, and it's that community, like you talked about Dr. Credetti, just making sure that we're reaching out to others to, you know, just share information, but you've been a pleasure. Thank you so much. And, um, everybody wishing you the best and and thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much, everybody. Nice to meet all of you. Thank you for everything. This was amazing. You're most welcome. Have a great day. Sunshine. Bye. Thank you for joining us for Will Talk, sponsored by Women in Leadership Empowered. To learn more about our programs, please visit www.willempowered.com. We look forward to seeing you in our community.